Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for our Safety and Health Magazine webcast today, sponsored by Aveta. We are going to give our audience just a minute to settle in, and we'll start the presentation shortly. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us, folks, for today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by Aveta. We're going to give everyone about 30 seconds or so to uh, hop into our presentation here and jump into the room and settle in. We'll begin the presentation shortly. Thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast, Proving the Value of Safety, sponsored by Aveta. My name is Barry Botino, and I'm an associate editor at Safety and Health. I'll be serving as the moderator for today's event. Before we get started, I have a few housekeeping items to share with everyone today. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speaker and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we'll conduct a Q&A with our speaker. If you have a question, just click on the Q&A button located at the bottom of your screen, type in your question, and press the send button. You don't have to wait for the Q&A to begin to send a question. We welcome those questions at any time during today's event. After this presentation, you'll also be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, but I'll tell you more about that a little later. Finally, this webcast will be archived. If you want to view this presentation or any of our past webcasts, please visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's introduce our speaker. With us today is Tim Page-Bodorf. Tim launched a career in safety 30 years ago as a Marine during Operation Desert Storm, helping to put out oil fires and liberate Kuwait. After leaving the military, he became a full-time safety professional, and he now serves as a senior consultant at SafeStart. Tim is an author and a VETA fellow and a highly sought after speaker. In fact, each year, he's one of the most popular speakers at the National Safety Council's Congress and Expo based on feedback from our conference attendees. Tim's book, The Core of Four, offers motivation to improve safety performance, self-discipline, and personal accountability. Again, we thank you all for tuning into this presentation today. And Tim, whenever you're ready, take it away. Hey, Barry, thank you very much. And I want to also thank uh, Aveta for sponsoring this incredible opportunity or webinar. And at the same time, I want to thank the uh, staff behind the scenes, Kevin and Gene, you guys, I appreciate you. And uh, Sarah Lutz also from Aveta from helping get this put together. So on behalf of those uh, those folks, I just want to say thank you. Um, I really do appreciate it. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about proving the value of safety, almost as if there's nothing to prove, but sometimes there is. And we've got metrics to follow and um, there's all kinds of things like KPIs that we end up having to produce um, to see if we're doing a really good job in the world of safety. Uh, but I want to take a deeper dive than just talking about metrics. So today, what I'd like to do is if I can give you an agenda, um, I, I really want to define what value is. And we might pull something from Webster, um, but I also want to give you an opportunity to, to speak up on your behalf. And you might be able to use the Q&A to suggest what you believe value is. We might even do a couple of Zoom polls as well. Um, and I'd like to mention that um, value statements are something that I use in every training class that I, I conduct or perform. And even today, um, talking to the students that are in my room right now, um, we, you know, we have a personal value statement that's used on behalf of Safe Start. Um, then at the same time, 
I want you to know that there is a difference between climate and culture, but can one affect the other? Can climate affect culture? And then I'd like to give you some climate success factors to look for where you can start finding chunks of value within your organization towards safety. Um, and then finally at the close, um, we use the terminology closing the loop. And what does that mean? You've got two different types of learning styles and one's organizational and one is individual. But are you closing the loop for both of those? And that'll be our last bit of discussion today. And so proving the value, um, as it is important to me, needs a definition. And one of the best things for us in the world of providing value is to maybe tell a story. And I was conducting a class a couple of weeks, a couple months ago. Um, it was a Safe Start Trainer certification for a Fortune top 10 company. Um, and I was in Milwaukee. And one of the students um, who had a really good story in the beginning, um, but was also questioning the fact that there was this um, human factors realm that they didn't really understand. And then, you know what, I was skeptical in the very beginning about human factors as well. But when I was doing this presentation, um, something clicked. And I'd say about a week after the class was over, yes, they graduated, they got their certificate, they became, a, you know, I'm sure they became a great trainer, but they called me up and said, hey, Tim, I wanted to let you know that uh, I was sitting at a red light the other day, um, snowy, icy, and, uh, and I, I was sitting at this red light. And for some reason, I was just thinking about our class while I was sitting there, and then the light turned green. Um, but I didn't jump on the pedal to jump through this intersection. I just sat there for a couple of seconds. And I'm glad that I did because there was a truck that was skidding on ice and couldn't stop in time. And they went right through the area. Had I left another second earlier, they would have hit me. And so it kind of struck a chord with me. And I've not, not necessarily heard that specific story before, but I've heard certain instances where students would call me up and talk about the impact of something that I have said to them or something that I've delivered to them or some kind of message that I gave them. And when they call me up or send me a social media message or talk about some level of impact, the value was there. Whatever I delivered, whatever, if it was compliance or it doesn't matter what it was, the value was the fact that they picked up the phone and called me about something that they remember, but then also using what they were delivered, were given, and then having that become an impact in the real world, practically using that kind of information. And I, I don't necessarily know if we have to prove that safety is so important, but I, I would say that if you're trying to prove the value of safety, then those are the kinds of things that are almost unmeasurable. And arguably as safety professionals, and if you are a safety professional, thank you for what you do, it's a noble job. But we can get more of these messages placed in front of other people because what you do is important. And sometimes you might have to prove your point. You might have to use metrics or return on investment to prove things that are, are absolutely needed. But in this case, if you got an employee or a friend or a colleague that calls you up and said, hey, what you said the other day has made an impact on me, you may not have nothing to prove anymore because now they're just affirming the value of the message that you delivered. So I want you to consider in your own personal frame of, of reference, what is value? To me, having a student call me or another person call me about something that I walked them through or coached them through or shared a story with, or if you're in Hawaii, you talk story. And so I've learned a lot of lessons when people say, hey, this has made an impact on me. And so maybe value to you is something that's under time or time constraints and you were able to meet a deadline. Or maybe you attach value to something like money or material things, or you got a great colleague or a friend that's extremely important to you and you will do anything for them and you find value in what you provide to them. Or if you're like me, you've got a grandson wear a St. Patrick's costume um, on their very first St. Patrick's Day. Um, yeah, that's my grandson, Owen. Where do you find value? And I'm going to ask staff from the National Safety Council to launch a Zoom poll. And so what I'm going to ask you is, is that what word or phrase might describe value to you personally? 
and we'll just we'll take a few seconds here for you to answer that question. But are there anything on the screen right now in that Zoom poll that might be more relatable to you and how you define value? And while you're thinking about it, I did tell you that I have my uh, class here with me today and uh, defining value. It could be a story back to you or people talking about what kind of impact you made. I gave them the option during lunch to, to come or go as they please. And every one of my students are sitting here watching this presentation right now. So if you want to talk about value, I didn't coerce them. I didn't twist their leg or twist their arm. As a matter of fact, we've got a student here that gave out chocolate yesterday. Um, thank you for that finding value, what's important. Um, so what are our results? Do we have results that we can share? Well, thank you for your, uh, thank you for your feedback. Um, and thank you to the staff for providing this poll. Um, it looks like a majority of you overwhelmingly 44% or 36% of family was something that you could provide or describe as value to you personally. Um, and then a lot of you said, 29% uh, of you said all of the above. And there's some individuals, uh, individual answers as you uh, progress. But thank you so much for doing that because all of us have a different answer on what the term value means. You might find value in other things. And so I appreciate you, staff. Thank you so much for the, for the results. Um, I do appreciate that. So let's go ahead and pull a definition from Webster. Um, and it's a noun. And so Webster's de definition, there were two of them. And the first one was that the regard that something is held to deserve or the importance, worth, or usefulness of something. And I know that sounds like a really technical definition, but for me, something that is held that you might think you deserve, or maybe you place some importance on what you feel like the worth is. And I thought that was a great definition, even though it's Webster's. But the second definition from Webster was a person's principles or standards of behavior, maybe one's judgment of what's important in life. As the results shown, 36% um, of you said family. And whether you have a family or not, you still have you know, some maybe extended members of your family, but family... I have found throughout the years, especially in the last, say, 17 years, being a member of the Safe Start team, that family usually is number one. It is the number one thing that motivates people. And when you're looking for a definition of value, you might find it there. Now, I know it's tough sometimes as a safety professional to attach a personal example in some of the things that you do, because maybe it's too personal or maybe it's too emotional. But if you're looking to provide value, not prove value, but provide value, that's where you might make an impact. Something that you can relate to people with. It could be family. It could be, and I use baseball as a terminology or golf. I've got a good friend here from San Antonio who likes to talk about the bucket list of food. He finds value in those kinds of things. But in our world as safety professionals and people that practice in the world of safety, I want you to know, and you've probably have heard it before, but I'll reiterate it here. Safety definitely can be a priority, but most organizations that say safety is a priority, you should know that priorities can change, especially over time. And so I think safety to me is a value. And as we define value, then you've attached certain things like relationships, soft skills, people, and even your family and friends. So once you define safety and you can define it as a value, I think that's where you're gonna make your big, biggest impact. Again, to me, it's not a priority, it's a value. So I'm gonna ask you for the next five minutes to consider how would you deliver that message? How would you deliver the message of safety being a value? And it's gotta come from here. Now, a lot of it can come from up here, but for me, your personal value statement regarding safety comes from here. So what does that mean? I'm going to have you formulate one. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be so I'm going to kind of be sly here. 
I'm going to have you write, if you're willing, your personal value statements in the Q&A. I know that questions and answers are supposed to be there, but you know what? I'll tell you what. We'll just go ahead and say, let's draw up a personal value statement. In your own words, I'm going to kind of call this a, an elevator speech for you personally and your organization. What would you say to people about safety that will resonate and relate to them and that will get them on board with your message? Or in other words, see the value in your statement. I'm going to ask you to provide something like that in the Q&A. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of elements for you to consider in your statement. There are basically five things that I would like to consider. These are personal to me. So in my personal value statement, I might include, I might, might include family. I might include my coworkers. I might include baseball. I might include Star Wars. And I might even include, include Kevin Cobb. What do I mean by these five things? Um, I'm going to ask my class here out loud. Did I include those five things in anything that I've done this week? Yes. Family, baseball, coworkers, and even Star Wars. and Kevin. Yeah, they said yes. All of the above. So if you think about it, coworkers, do you find value in working with some folks? You might even hang out with them in your personal time. They could be your colleagues. These are all friends and coworkers to me. And I, I almost kind of mistake them for friends mostly. Even though we have to work together, there are some times where you know we might disagree, but at least there might be value in your coworkers. And then maybe they're even deeper than that. They might be friends. Okay? Or how about baseball? I play on a baseball team. Um, this past October, I decided to hang it up because, well, <laughs> you saw on the very first slide, I've got a, I got a grandson now. So clarity and purpose. I find value in making sure that I can be there for my grandson. But baseball was a long way of life for me. Star Wars, if you know me, I'm a nerd. I love Star Wars. And so sometimes I find value in incorporating some of the things that we do or see in the Star Wars universe. So that's number four. And then the last one is Kevin Cobb. So briefly, I just want to tell you a little bit about Kevin Cobb. Kevin is a, a longtime friend of mine. And when I first met Kevin, I thought he was brash. I thought he was abrasive. And I thought that, you know what, he was a little over the top. But what I've learned over the years with Kevin is that he's extremely passionate. He cares for his family. And he provides an extreme level of value on all the things that he does. And Kevin is a producer of our podcast. And so when I talk to Kevin, I frequently get feedback and information back from Kevin. But I see it in his writing. I can hear his voice in everything that he does. And so when Kevin and I first met, Kevin and I was talking about how do I want this to be important? So in the regards to a, a toolbox, he was saying, Tim, you're a safety professional. I mean, he didn't grow up being a safety professional like I did, but he, he used to walk out doing observations for behavior-based safety. And so Kevin, he would actually bring out this you know, sheet of paper and start talking to people. And he gave me this one lesson that I thought was extremely valuable. It's funny how we're using that word now. So Kevin walked up to a guy out in the field somewhere and he had a piece of paper in his hand and it was attached to a clipboard and a pen. And he, he had asked this person, what are the hazards in the job? And the person that was committing to trying to explain to Kevin what his hazards were, he was having a difficult time. And so Kevin was just like, oh, what am I gonna do to get this person to speak up? So he tried a different approach in a different place. And the approach was he put this piece of paper and the clipboard he left back in the office. He put this piece of paper in his back pocket and walked up to this person who was working in the same area, but in a different place. And of course, this person had a picture of this family on the toolbox and Kevin's approach was, hey, who are these people in your photograph? And that person was ready to speak up right away. And what Kevin got was is a little bit of a connection first, more relatable. And then he popped the question, hey, your grandson there in the photograph, if he came into the workplace today, how would you explain the dangers of your job to your grandson? And he got an immediate ton of information from this person, specifically about the hazards. But that person was more motivated to talk about his grandson and how he would deliver that information. And so the reason why I bring up Kevin Cobb for a personal value statement is I learned a lot through that um, transaction with Kevin. 
Um, and I still am learning from Kevin today. So I don't care who it is for you. It could be a Kevin Cobb. Um, it could be somebody that's extremely important that you look to get mentorship. Um, but I wanted to share that value statement with you because I've learned a lot from Kevin. So for the next five minutes, I'm going to ask you to develop a personal value statement, either using the five things that I just gave you, or you could use things like safety is important to me because of whatever that is. So I'd like for you to formulate a personal value statement. And I'm going to inundate my the National Safety Council staff with some of these. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at them. I might even read some of them out. Barry, are you going to be able to help me with that? Absolutely, Tim. We've had uh, uh, Rebecca, Gerardo, and Kim have already responded here. Uh, so folks, keep those coming in, and I'll read them as they come in. Thanks, Barry. And I, I say let's give them a few minutes to do this, and I'll just sit here quietly while you're, you're establishing your personal value statement. It's not necessarily trying to prove the value of safety just yet. We're just trying to connect with our people and provide a value statement. And so what is it that is important to you in the world of safety? Is it any of these five things that I shared with you, or is it something else? Use something personal to connect with your people to provide a value statement so you can navigate yourself back to those important things. Give you a couple of minutes. And Tim, if you don't mind, while we're waiting, I did have a question that that we wanted to share with you. Um, you were curious when coming up with your safety value statement, um, do you recommend including anyone else in the process, peers or leaders that you know, or friends or colleagues or family, anything that you would recommend about uh, how to come up with a personal value statement? Yeah, that's, that's really good. So if you wanted to bounce an idea off a friend, family member, colleague, that's those are all good. As a matter of fact, um, when we do a trainer certification, one of the things that we have folks do, and it's one of the three parameters that you can pass, is to have a personal value statement that can connect with people. And so sometimes you get folks that come in that they don't have a family yet, or they haven't started, or maybe they just didn't want a family. They're, you know, they've got other things on their own. So balancing ideas off other folks is great, but then also maybe you might want to include them into your personal value statement because you look up to them or you find value in what they give you in terms of feedback? That's a great question, Barry. Thank you for bringing that up. Barry, I'll tell you what, why don't we go ahead and read a couple of them? We don't have to read them all. Um, I'm not sure everybody gets a chance to see the Q&A, but why don't you read a couple of them out loud? Absolutely, we'll do here. So Rebecca says, uh, true concern that workers are not injured. Gerardo okay, so said- Go ahead, go ahead. Sure, Gerardo says, no job or task is worth putting your life in danger. Okay, I like it. And Kim says, the value of safety allows you to be your who to someone else. Everyone is a who to someone else. When safety is valued, your who is not interrupted. Barry, who said that? Can you repeat your name? That is Kim. Kim, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not a I'm not a jokester here, but a lot of you have known me do a presentation throughout the years called the humor and safety. So I find value in what you just said, Kim. Uh, and I'm curious, are you a are you a fan of how the Grinch stole Christmas? <laughs> I can't get an answer back from her, Barry, but I'm wondering if she can incorporate <laughs> maybe maybe she Kim may be able to sound. respond here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it would be that was that was really really good. And so to listen to these three, Barry, is there? Can you give me one more? Sure, absolutely. Here, uh, I'll go to Cynthia, who says safety is all about getting employees home every day uninjured and well, so you can do those things that are important to you. Thank you, yeah, Cynthia. Yeah, these are for all. That. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Barry, and I appreciate you to to jump absolutely. on there so impromptu. Uh, so the, the value statements that you all provided, I, I think they're fantastic. Um, and I want you to go one step further. And I'm going to give you my personal value statement. Safety is so important to me. 
that what I need to do is personally do the things that I can do so I can get back to my family or play cosplay with Star Wars or I got a really important baseball game. We could win the world championships tonight or so I can wield my Star Wars lightsaber. So based on what we've already heard from the value statements, if you're going to provide these to people and you're trying to connect them, you're already in the middle of proving the value of safety because what you've shown is important to you. And it might be too personal for you for now, but I'd like for you to consider maybe adding a personal element to those messages. So why is it important to you? Instead of saying, yes, we want our people to go home and or instead of saying safety is such a value that you know our people need to follow policy and procedures so they can go home, maybe suggest saying what's important to you personally. I know that that's a very tough thing to do. But those five things that I shared with you just a moment ago, those are all personal to me, okay? Those are all personal to me. And I'd like for you to step your game up just a little bit. If you're going to prove the value of safety, then prove why it's important to you first, personally. I mean, almost 37% of you said that family was extremely important. You can actually connect the dots by using images of your family, like Kevin found, when that person was talking to him about the dangers of the workplace with a family photograph that was on their toolbox. And what Kevin was looking for was a connection. He made the connection because family is important to Kevin, but also family was important to that mechanic with the toolbox. I hope that makes sense to you. You know, a deeper dive here, if you're looking for a personal value statement to construct, you will find once you develop that really good statement, you'll make a connection and so the deeper dive is that, did you develop a relationship with someone you didn't have already? Did you connect on ways that show that all of you, both of you have ways to think about what motivates you and you find value in what motivates you? That's what's important. Now, can we do this through providing a, a kind of a, a deeper dive through climate and culture? Let me just say this, if the temperature in the room's too cold, you usually got to go to the thermostat to change the temperature. But the leadership that comes from the folks that change the temperature are the ones that actually get up to go to the thermostat. Oh, you know what? I know technology has changed over the years. Maybe you say, hey, Siri, can you change the temperature? It doesn't matter. You made the action happen. And so what I'd like to know is, do you know or do you think of you have no idea what just happened. My phone in the back just said, do you, do you want me to change the temperature? I should have never done that. I apologize. <laughs> Anyways, the point is about climate and culture is that there are, there are two different things and one does affect the other. And so let me give you a couple of examples and I just want to revisit. If you want the temperature to change, you have to physically get up, change the temperature. That takes leadership, that takes drive, and it takes initiative. But not everybody's wired that way. So let me just talk through talk you through this climate versus culture. I want you to know that in terms of definition, culture is basically the way things are done around here. That we've been doing it that way for years. Um, we've had a brief discussion here in my class today in regards to some of the things that happen in very specific workplaces or locations. And maybe that's because there's certain groups of people within the organization that have been doing things that way and it just perpetuates itself. So ultimately the word culture is just the way things are done. And in terms of culture, I also want you to know that the value that's placed on safety is basically kind of rests on the degree of personal accountability for safety. And if there's not any personal accountability, then what you'll end up having is, you know, a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And I have to say that safety to me is literally the personality of an organization. You know, you can go on LinkedIn today and have a brief discussion or even an argument about the word culture. That happens all the time. So people have a different belief in what that looks like and they place different values on culture. And you might have a really robust safety management you know, system, um, but does that mean you've got great quality? And you might have a great quality system, but does that mean you might have a great safety system? So all of those things are connected and culture as a whole does affect the entire organization. 
And it's not just in safety, but it could be in other things. And to give you an example about culture, sometimes when you come into a classroom, even me as a facilitator, you wonder why the back of the classroom gets filled up first. That could be the culture. Then that might be because that the people coming in don't want to be bothered, or maybe they've had a safety class in the past they just didn't enjoy. So over years or over time, it became that's just the way they do things around here. And even worse, sometimes you get a student coming in, can I just sign the roster and go? Obviously, they didn't find any value in anything that was done in the world of safety beforehand. And now we've got to make that change. And the way you make that change is not attacking the culture right away, but attacking the day-to-day -day climate right away. So climate, to me, is basically how things feel around here on this day or some of these days. And it's more narrowly focused. And so to put a kind of definition to it, I want you to understand that the perceived value of safety in the world of climate is the things that we're doing today, okay? I'll give you an example of that. So from an influence perspective, if you've got a lot of folks that can be easily influenced by other people, it's usually because of attitude. Um, and so today the attitude could be, oh, that's flavor of the month. Oh, here we go again. Or maybe there's something coming up today, uh, an upset condition that changes the climate in that workplace. Could be a broken down piece of equipment. And if somebody has a great attitude about that, then they might be able to tackle and get that job done quickly or, or efficiently. So attitudes have a big play into what climate produces. And then changes are actually based on circumstances like production cycles, or maybe you had an injury and you had to stop what you were doing and review and do a case study and do all the things that go in into a major incident. And even uh, employee promotions have a great deal to do with climate. Sometimes you got a person that was a really good employee and they had a ton of friends in that area, but when they get promoted to supervisor, they end up losing all these people that were their friends. And then eventually you've got to face that challenge. And as a supervisor, it's tough to deal with that. Okay. Climate, climate. Now, typical change in climate examples, um, I will give you a couple of them. Boss today is in a bad mood, but they were in a great mood yesterday. You're not sure what's going on today, so something's going on. And something internally is driving the bad mood. Maybe you have an experienced team member who's out on medical leave and everybody else in that area had to pick up the slack. Or you ended up getting a rush order if you work in retail or manufacturing. If you get that rush order, <laughs> everything changes again, but that's a day-to-day -day kind of thing. And then finally, a line being shut down, just like we talked about a little earlier. Those are typical changing climate examples. I'd say in the last three years, we've had other things to add through the pandemic. So maybe new world changing climate examples could be things like worrying about a sick family member. You might have more worry nowadays than you did before the pandemic. So you might be considering that. I know in the first, say, seven months of the pandemic, I, I would sneeze. I would have a sniff. I would actually say out loud, gee, I wonder if I've got COVID. But now it's like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> maybe I do, maybe I don't. But that's see how the, the climate changes day to day. Okay? Another thing that you might be worried about is just distributed workforces. Some folks have mandatory overtime going on right now because they just can't hire good enough staff. Whereas there are some organizations right now struggling because they don't have enough work to maintain the staff that they've got. That is, could be a new world changing climate because of the pandemic. And then, of course, stress about job security. So for those folks that are going through a specific job, maybe you've got a company that came in and you took over another company, and then now you got to worry about, hmm, are they going to want me to stay? Or maybe I don't like the way they operate things. There could be all kinds of different things. Right? And the last one I want to give you is maybe you have some financial pressures. Right? So I'm going to have staff help me out here. I've got the second and last Zoom poll I would like to ask all of you to see if you understand the difference between climate and culture before I give you some tools to help affect both climate and culture. Um, there it is. Select the item that best describes the measure you use to prove safety is working on your end. That is a climate and culture question. 
select the item that best describes the measure you use to prove safety is working. Let's uh, go ahead and wait a couple more seconds. Oh, never mind. <laughs> it's okay, Gene. You're good. All right, here's the results. Um, there is an overwhelming category. 42% of you said engagement. Do you get proper engagement within the safety systems or safety things that you're doing? Um, and then the next one, number two, is are your supervisors actively leading in safety? So, um, and then number three is communications or, or are they improving? Do you see improvement in communications? I'll tell you, engagement, supervisory contact, or if they are actively leading, and then communications are real world problems. But at the same time, this is what most of us use in terms of finding out if safety is working. And so thank you, Gene, I appreciate that. So what I'd like to do is give you some tools to kind of help you with those three challenges. And we've identified in our, on our end through our own research that um, two of them are in our top three already. And that is supervisors are the key and of course, engagements. So I'm gonna, as I promised before, I'm gonna give you the six climate success factors and then I'll talk about each one of these. All right, so the first one on the list is, do you have a no blame mindset? Number one, and if you don't, if you, excuse me, if you don't have a no blame mindset, you'll have a workplace through climate connecting to culture, feeling like there is somebody out to get them, or in other words, they're just gonna get blamed for everything anyways. So why should they produce? Or even worse, why should they engage? Now, technology around the first climate success factor is, is that when you respond to folks, I'd like for you to take an extra second before you actually say something. So the terminology here is called pause, think, respond. If you wanna find value, don't jump down somebody's throat immediately and react. I want you to pause, think, respond. What are you gonna say? How are you gonna say it? And what is the tone that you're gonna take? Especially if it's an incident, because if it is an incident and you react, it's likely that you're gonna create a blaming mindset. So number two is, do you have a set of fresh eyes around the facility? In other words, do employees and supervisors actually spot hazards and mention them when it's necessary? Or is it just the job of the safety professionals to do the hazard spotting? When you allow other folks to spot hazards and then bring it up, you'll find the value in safety because then now they feel free to talk, which means you have to give them that access to speak up. And that'll tackle number three, communication as a challenge. So number three on the list here for climate success factors is systems and data. And so yes, do we have a platform to speak up? Do they have an opportunity to spot hazards? Do you train them to look at risk? Well, this one here is talking about, are you tracking the data, whether they're speaking up or not? And if you are tracking the data, what does that platform look like? Is it a near-miss reporting system? Is it a job hazard analysis for non-routine tasks? What does that look like for systems of data? And number four, going up to the top right-hand corner, is there a personal commitment from your leadership? In other words, do you demonstrate that you care? Now, care is a big word because if you're looking for value and safety, showing that you care is a gravitational force. And when you show people that you care, they're going to actually want to come back and talk to you again. And that's because you've developed a relationship. And I'll repeat here, Jack Jackson is a good friend of mine. He's got a strong gravitational pull, but it's because I think he shows people right up front that he cares about them. And he wants to understand them. He wants to learn about them. 
And yeah, he might throw a joke or two at you, but he still he deeply cares about you. Okay. Number five, trust and engagement. And that was a big one. Engagement up front, if you're looking for it, what are the employees allowed to do and what are they supposed to do are two different things. And then sometimes if they're supposed to do this, they actually do something totally different. The chances are, if you've got tape or like duct tape over bypasses or machine guards, it's because you know there's a forced issue and a system to have them produce faster. And then they hide it. And then when they come around or somebody leadership wise comes around, maybe there's not enough trust built up to speak up about it. So if you want this to happen right up front, whatever messages are delivered by management and they roll downhill to employees, have you developed the trust to deliver the information so they understand it and practically apply it? I want you to engage coworkers with open communication. You gotta open the lines. And then finally, the sixth climate success factor is do you have active leadership? In other words, do you actually inspire people to find value in safety? The way you inspire people is to lead by example. You wouldn't say, I want you to do what I want you to do, but don't watch me do what I do. And I know there's a cliche for it, but I'm not gonna mention it here, okay? Lead by example. And if you wanna inspire active, active leadership, I led off this presentation with a story. Storytelling and relationship building is a great way to provide active leadership. After all, every one of us are humans. We've all made mistakes before. And the last thing you wanna say as an active leader is that I've never made mistakes. We all have. So be the first to step up and say, I've made a mistake. Let me draw a relationship between you and I. Oh, and by the way, it's okay for you to speak up too and tell your own story. That's a big deal. Now, the illumination on supervision is something that I've seen over the years. And I, I borrowed this graphic from a friend of mine named Teg Matthews. But Teg describes that when leadership delivers a message and that illumination goes downhill, what ends up happening is, is when it reaches the next level, that illumination either gets tainted or deleted. And so what you end up getting down at the very bottom at the, at the lowest level of the workplace is that the message that's delivered by supervisors wasn't actually the message that was delivered by management. Something different, something with a different level of illumination. Okay. Now, upper management and leadership, they certainly can influence the whole organization, but it's the frontline workers that to me can provide the ownership, the participation and the engagement. There's only one group of people at your facility that can that, that can make that happen. That's the supervisors. The supervisors will make the hugest impact on, to me, the climate of the workplace. So supervisors are absolutely the key. And if you need value and safety, there's no other better group that can actually show it than the supervisors. So if you follow the six climate success factors and you work on your level of communication, then supervisors for me, if you get those supervisors on board when they can actually give and receive an open input, and then they understand how human factors can connect to the safety outcomes of the workplace, that's by doing the hazard communication. And then finally showing their belief in the value of safety, belief, value, safety in the same sentence. You will get these things in return. Your organization will actually benefit from accurate leading indicator data or those systems and data. You'll also get positive day-to-day -day climate change. That's huge. You've got people physically getting up and going to the thermostat. You also will have desired long-term culture. In other words, what you've had go on in the past because that's just the way things are done around here, it might change because the day-to-day -day climate has made an adjustment. Then finally, you'll get proven value in safety. To finally close the loop, I'll use the term for the human factors management system to close the loop. I kind of brought it up as I was going along through the presentation, but you have to allow your employees to speak up. If you want the proper feedback to change systems, to get resilient engineering, and to also provide 
human factors feedback, you have to close the loop. And so this framework will allow you to do that. And I'm not gonna necessarily dive into the framework because I literally wanna give you some opportunities for Q&A. So if you've got some questions and answers, I want you to start thinking about it now. But if there is a system failure and you don't provide feedback in the outcome reliability, or in other words, you didn't deliver what you said you were, then you provide the feedback to the system and then you make a change in the system. But on the right-hand side, you've got folks on the internal side who have things going on personally. And if you've never made a connection, let's just think back, Kevin Cobb, picture on the toolbox. If you never made that connection, you may not even know that that person has a grandchild, nor would you know that that person has a sick child. And if they do, they might be at home taking care of that person. And if you didn't know that information, you would have never been able to get the feedback you need to see what's going on internal for an individual. But you've developed a relationship, you've proven the value of safety through that relationship. And so to close the loop, if you knew that that person was taking care of a sick child at home, then you would also know that fatigue would affect them in the workplace. That is a psychosocial risk mitigation factor that we don't normally do. But if you had a great relationship and they told you that they had a sick child, you could assume safely that they might come into work the next day, not fully paying attention and then you can provide feedback and work on it together because you can see complacency in somebody else better than they can. I'll give you an example from a company that we've done some work for. Um, ABB has opened up a platform for people to speak up. And so what they ended up doing is calling it harvesting frustrations. And so closing the loop on the individual learning loop was extremely important to this company. And so now when an employee feels frustrated about a job or a task, they are allowed to stop work, speak up, talk to their supervisor, and it has opened up lines of communications, both their system success and employee feedback. There you can find a lot of value. Okay? So to go all the way back to the beginning, provide a personal value statement. That's extremely huge. The personal value statement will establish the relationship. And then when you do, you can connect with people because now you might have something in common. For some of you in this room, you might like Star Wars. Some of you may have not never watched it before, but that's okay. I wouldn't judge you, right? But the point I wanna make about this is that to prove the value of safety, all you gotta do is show that you care. And you can do that through many ways. You can use the six climate success factors. You can provide a value statement and you can also open the door for people to speak up. And when they do, and you see them speaking up, you'll see the value in the world of safety. So Barry, I'd like to open up for Q&A now. I've got a few minutes to wrap it up here, but um, if there are any questions and answers, I'd love to spend some time and answer those now. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tim, for sharing your insights with us today. Before we start the q and I want to let everyone know about the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. Uh, the survey will open in a different screen after this webinar. Your input is important to us because it does help us to improve our future webcasts. And Tim, before we get started with questions, uh, you talked a little about storytelling. I wanted to let all our audience know today that your colleague, Jack Jackson, uh, was a guest on our Safety and Health podcast on the safe side. And he talked about storytelling. Uh, folks can find that at safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash podcasts. And it is episode number 35 with Jack Jackson talking about storytelling. So um, Tim, where we want to start with you today is um, Josh asks a question uh, and he says, it seems that accountability would be a good addition for success factors in checking and improving the safety climate. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great question. Thank you, Josh. Um, accountability is one of those things. Now, how you approach accountability uh, is that if you always have an intention to go towards discipline, um, it, it usually backfires and then you'll, you won't be able to avoid uh, climate success factor number one, which is a no blame mindset. So if discipline's the only way that you participate in personal accountability, then you're gonna get the, the negative, unfortunately. 
But if you've got another way for personal accountability, in other words, people are interdependently acting on their own with good intentions, then you've motivated them to make good decisions. And then also perhaps they're practicing some safety-related habits on their own. That is good personal accountability. And you could spend some time on the positive or affirmative side of that. And I think that'll help out. Try to steer away from the negative or the, or the discipline. And that's the only thing you've got. And I understand. And if you've got people willfully or intentionally trying to hurt others, then take the path down discipline. But otherwise, 95% of your staff, your workers are actually doing something good. So if you wanted to, you can positively affirm the work that they're doing, showing gratitude or thanks. That goes in a different direction. And then you'll get personal accountability. Um, the dupont Pradley curve is brought up several times, but if you want to interdependent behavior, then maybe you can spend more time on the positive as opposed to the negative. But personal accountability can come through habits, can come through training. Um, it's completely up to the organization and, and the approach they want to take. Um, but I appreciate that question, Josh. That was great. Sure. Kelsey has a has a um, little bit of a story and then also a question for you, Tim. And she says, um, we're constantly told by management that everyone is too busy and no one is willing to take individuals from their daily tasks to help do things that promote health and safety and get others involved. So when supervisors are also frontline workers who have quotas to meet, et cetera, how do you get management to buy in to getting supervisors involved in safety? <laughs> and, um, and she mentions an example such as helping with monthly inspections throughout the facility and reporting potential hazards, for example. Um, a great question. Thank you very much. Barry, thank you for reading that verbatim because it helped me out. Uh, I know that's tough to translate. One of the things that you got to do is start with a safety management system. And right in there, it's going to actually dictate what a manager is supposed to do, what a supervisor is supposed to do, and then eventually what employees are responsible for for participation. And so one of the key elements of a great robust system, is it management-led or is it employee-rooted? Where most organizations fail in regards to your question is that management has a upper hand, so to speak, on what they want. And so what they end up doing is telling everybody, this is what I want. I know that's a strong approach and I'm okay with it. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But in regards to this question, Perhaps maybe you can ask, what do you want as an employee in the world of safety as opposed to what do I want? And then maybe you can meet in the middle. So that's the first place to start as a safety management system because it dictates or outlines what managers are supposed to do and what supervisors are supposed to do as well. But to get supervisors on board, um, in my research and in my um, experience, I found that supervisors, they don't get a lot of tools in the first place for safety. And so maybe you could start there, providing a tool to supervisors that allows them to identify risks, that allows them to identify human factors in the workplace, and allows them to communicate with their people in a way they never had. <laughs> that might be a great place to start as well. But, you know, at least in the very beginning, safety management, do you have it? Health and safety program, that's a good place to start. Great systems. But then, do we have tools for our people, our supervisors specifically, to go out there and manage these day-to-day -day kind of activities? That was a great question. Okay, thank you for that, Tim. Uh, Juan has an interesting question. He says, how can a new safety professional bring value to a company that has a good program already established? Um, I'm gonna be try to be as nice as I can because I was just talking to my classroom here just the other day, we were talking about the movie Roadhouse and he actually mentions to his bouncers who are trying to remove <laughs> unwanted activity, he just tells them to be nice. Um, you gotta be nice. And so in regards to supervisors being nice, that's kind of hard to do. Um, and so do we train them in the soft skills or do we train them in the hard skills to, to directly answer the question? Um, soft skills is where it's at because we don't go to university for it and we kind of go to the school of hard knocks. And so we can develop our supervisors and managers specifically with those levels of soft skills and maybe make it relate to things like ISO 45003, that'll help you with that specific question. And I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Tim, Stacy has a question. She says, I, I believe that follow through is a great way to make a connection. So how do I show follow through when I receive pushback from management? She also mentions that she's new to her company. So that's another kind of aspect of this question as well. 
Um, if I can rephrase, Barry, um, she's looking for information on how to get feedback from management or provide feedback to management. Yeah, let me just read through it here. She says, I believe follow through is a great way to make a connection. I'm new to my company. My question is, how do I show follow through when I receive pushback from management? Okay, well, if it's a safety professional providing follow through or follow up, um, I'm going to first say, if you're going to say you're going to do something, well, number one, make sure you do it. Um, and then number two, hold yourself accountable to that message. And then finally, if you got a message from management that feels like pushback to you, um, one of the things that you can do is, is try to learn how we can sell better to our management team. Um, and I know safety professionals don't go to the school of sales. I know that's the one thing that we don't get. But in regards to getting pushback, absorb the pushback, listen to the pushback, and then take the time to formulate a correct response to the pushback, especially if it's something that you believe will provide value to the organization. Um, and that's, to me, <laughs> right to the root of this presentation. Um, because if you truly believe in something that will work and you're getting pushback from management, um, take the time to listen to them. And then maybe you can get in the same room together and work on it. And I'm not saying like a committee, but maybe bring other folks in to help moderate. Um, that might help out too. But if you're getting pushback from management, first thing you need to do is listen to them, understand them, and then maybe formulate a different approach because maybe the first approach wasn't exactly what they were looking for, or maybe it just didn't work because what you presented wasn't the information they needed. Um, so reconfigure and uh, just come back and maybe work together at the table. Great. And Stacy did provide a, a, another note here. She said, follow through when employees ask for assistance with an issue. Oh, that's even, okay, even better. So a supervisor or a manager, when an employee brings something up, the worst thing you can do is sit on it. And one of the things that we as safety professionals can do is actually listen to those things that employees are saying and be a, and be an advocate for them and follow up directly with supervisors. And we can actually, you know, there's an issue on the floor and employees bring it up um, and you can be an advocate for them and not necessarily take it out of their hands because we want them to still follow up, but also go to bat for them. That'll help the supervisors understand how important that is, especially if an employee perceives it to have value. Thank you, that was a great question. Great. Tim, before we get to the next questions here, I did I did want to share Barb had an interesting uh, value statement. And she said, uh, safety is important to me because I want to continue to be able to bring support, love, and laughter to those I care about, and perhaps to those I just don't know I care about yet. So I thought that was a very interesting one. Thank you, Barb, for that. That is fascinating. I really appreciate that, Barb. Uh, Mick wants to know, he says, our company has over 800 people in multiple states, and it's me and my assistant driving our safety program. Do you have any advice on methods or techniques to reinforce the personal value of safety to a large and spread out audience? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, get a good PR campaign going. Um, hire 17 more people. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that's easier said than done. Um, but first step you can do is uh, develop a campaign that's either digital based and come up with the message. And I've heard this before, but it's a message of true north. What does the organization value and what do they want to achieve through their mission, vision and values? I know at Safe Start, our CEO has done a really good job at developing mission, vision and values. And it's gotten a, gotten a position where people have actually jumped on board with the message. And that motivation factor, if everybody comes on board with it through management, will help get management and supervisors on board actually in the field as well. So first of all, start there. Do you have a really good mission? Do you have a really good vision? And do you have values in regards to that, what you want to achieve? And then once you have that completed, find those stakeholders in the individual remote areas that you can actually bring on board to help you deliver and drive that message through and then the little things can come, like compliance and safety management. I'd say start right there and then, you know, really work on a communications plan with what you agree on, whatever that mission, vision, and value would be. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Tim, you talked about pause, think, and respond. Um, I'm curious, do you feel there's one of these areas that, as human beings, we struggle with the most? Um, it's the pausing because most of us want to react. And that's not necessarily based on experience. I got a chance to 
go out and talk to a, a bunch of supervisors in regards to pause, think and respond. And I find that a majority of them, when they talk to me about this, is that they're reacting to situations because of downtime, because they don't have time and they are losing time and they have short staff. So what they end up doing is reacting and instead of supervising the coaching, they go out and fix the problems themselves and not mentor the person or mentor the issue. And so they take it on themselves. And unfortunately that pausing is the toughest. Thinking can come and understanding through experience, but it's the pausing instead of reacting. And I find that that's the biggest challenge. Thank you. Great. We've got time for one more, Tim, today. Um, this one harkens back to our discussion on elevator pitches. And uh, someone wants to know, how long should it take to deliver an effective elevator pitch? And can it be too long? Ooh, that's a great question. And thank you. And I, I appreciate that question. Yes, the answer is it can be too long. You'll end up, it's like safety training. If you're talking and you're rambling and it just doesn't, it doesn't just resonate, um, then your message is, has lost its uh, fervor. And so in the very beginning of all this, should it be a certain time? Um, if I had to answer the question with a very specific time, I'd say less than a minute. But um, most, <laughs> I've never really timed them. It's more like a, thinking about this. It could be like a 20 second, 20 second speech. Uh, mine was less than 20 seconds. So if you're looking for a personal value statement or an elevator speech, I'd say make it less than a minute, um, but the target should be around 20 seconds. Great question. Great. Thank you for that. Well, folks, unfortunately, we've run out of time today. We thank you all for attending today's presentation, and we'd appreciate you taking the time to share your feedback via our survey. A special thank you goes out today to our terrific presenter, Tim Page Bodorf, and everyone from our sponsor at Aveta. This ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Take care, everyone, and have a safe day.